mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, the Findlay YMCA has announced plans for a new downtown facility. CEO Stephanie Parsons discusses the benefits of this ambitious plan, its timeline, and the next steps in the process. Also this morning, the annual Medicare open enrollment period is now underway. We'll talk about the most common mistakes people make and how to avoid them. And from fledgling animation studio to global entertainment empire, Disney celebrating 100 years of making magic. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Tuesday, October 17th, 2023. So we're going to talk more about this when we get to our daily download a little bit later on uh, because we have a lot more data here. But the long and short of it is that more Americans are moving to Idaho than any other state. Now, that is the state with the most positive net migration trends, the latest U.S. Census Bureau data. Americans also moving to Vermont, South Carolina, and Tennessee and moving away from New York Alaska, Illinois, and California. Those are the top states with a negative migration trend, where Americans are moving to and where they are moving from being analyzed. So uh, kind of interesting. Again, affordable housing markets and a healthy economy. Uh, Not a big surprise. Those are driving factors because people go where the jobs are and where uh, where things are good um, and where they can afford uh, to live. Although... Uh, I do know this, and other states that have previously been at the top of the migration, net migration list, have discovered this. The more people move to their areas, the less affordable those places become. Uh, for example, people moving to Idaho now are finding affordable housing and uh, and everything is good. But the more people move there, the demand goes up, the prices go up, and the affordable housing factor uh, goes down. So... Uh, times are good now for the uh, folks of the Gem State. That may or may not be true moving forward. Here is something, though, and this is one of the reasons why I bring this up right out of the gate here this morning. Like I said, we've got more of this data coming up in our uh, daily download a little bit later on, but I bring it up right out of the gate because if this is a factor you might want to consider, um, the states that get the most robocalls... <laughs> Last month, according to UMail, more than 4.3 billion robocalls were made in the United States. This is for the month of September alone, 4.3 billion robocalls. And I think I got all but seven of them. <laughs> Get those all the time. Uh, but if you live in Louisiana, North and South Carolina, or Georgia... Those are the most uh, robocalled places. People in those places get the most robocalls, uh, according to this analysis. And specifically, the city that receives the most spammy phone calls, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So I don't know why, but robocalls seem to afflict southern states more Memphis, San Antonio, and Little Rock also on the list of top cities for robocalls in the month of September. Now, 
not all robocalls are necessarily bad or scams or things like some of uh, of the applications of robocall technology are good i we have the system here locally where if there's a big countywide emergency or a citywide emergency they will call residents and let them know uh, via phone have you gotten those uh now those robocalls actually do serve a purpose uh, many doctors offices I have a robocall system tied to their scheduling system where if you have a doctor's appointment tomorrow afternoon, you'll probably get a phone call reminding you of that. And so those are not necessarily bad. The Federal Communication Commission uh, says those are fine. Those are not the ones that they are, are concerned about. It's the scams and the misuse of robocall technology that causes a problem they advise against picking up the phone unless you know who is calling. You know, the other the other thing, though, that I have run into, that uh, robocalls are so uh, pervasive now that I have noticed uh, that sometimes legitimate calls get flagged as spam calls. I had one of these the other day. It was a legitimate call. It was one that I was waiting for. And fortunately, I knew who this person was, Um, even though the number wasn't in my address book. I recognized the phone number, so I answered it. But it came up and showed on my phone that it was a a junk call and a a, a spam call or a potential spam call. Um, So that's the problem with these these filtering systems is sometimes they actually catch – legitimate calls because there are so many of the robocalls out there they're trying to sift to sift through it doesn't always work uh, anyway but uh, speaking of uh, finding places to live how about this maybe you just don't live anywhere maybe you become a nomad now i know during the pandemic this actually became a trend people uh, would buy rvs and they decide to you know live out of their rv And go where the wind takes you, you know, become nomads. This is a little bit more sophisticated than that. A new residential cruise ship startup has plans to begin sailing around the world in May of next year. And uh, you can buy a cabin on this cruise ship, which then would be your residence as this ship constantly sails around the world. You could uh, own this. Now, there actually is one of these currently in operation. It is a luxury concept. The condos aboard the ship cost like a million dollars or more. But the cabins on this future ship set to set sail in May of next year, the cabins cost $100,000 or they start at a mere $100,000. That's it. hundred gay. Over the past year, condominium at sea concepts have flooded the market. Relatively new companies such as Victoria Cruise Line and Life at Sea Cruises say they will give travelers the chance to spend years at sea sailing and living on refurbished ships. These are not new ships. These are ships decommissioned from major cruise lines that they have picked up and they have uh, converted to basically floating condominium uh villages 
the uh, both of those uh, ships or those uh, companies rather, Victoria Cruises and Life at Sea, have faced shakeups such as postponements or change in vessels. According to uh, the news story here, uh, this new one uh, is taking a different approach. This new company is taking a different approach by building its own residential ship, although the company has had to delay its sale date as well. And it's been operating for the past 20 years. But good luck purchasing a room. 10 to 12 of its luxury condos go on sale annually. Um, and they they do have very high, I mean, like $2 million, $5 million, $10 million condos. The $100,000 prices are for interior staterooms, and uh, those don't go on sale very often. Uh, the interior staterooms, by the way, for $100K don't even include a balcony. For that, you'd have to shell out at least a quarter mil. Uh, and that doesn't include monthly fees, which start at $3,500 for a double occupancy interior stateroom. Uh, it does not, however, have to be a lifelong commitment. These residences uh, can be leased or sold. So you kind of Airbnb this. But I don't know. I mean, I just I think that's an, an intriguing idea. The idea of instead of buying a condo like on the on the Florida coast or wherever in a retirement village, you buy a condo. On a ship that constantly is sailing around the world. And go whenever you like. You can live out of your stateroom. Live on the ship. I don't know. Kind of interesting. A couple of other items here among the first things you need to know this morning. The most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day. Halloween right around the corner. Um, the Halloween parade coming up next week. And I know a lot of folks go to the parade in costume. We've got trick or treat. We've got Halloween parties um, that are coming up. Probably, what, beginning this weekend, I think we'll have the uh, first uh, Halloween parties. Maybe you've got a gathering, so the, and you're looking for a costume. Don't expect to see a bunch of Barbies this year. Despite the hugely popular movie, uh, Sandra Torres of Gibson's Costumes in San Antonio, Texas, says the demand has not necessarily been real high for Barbies, uh, Barbie costumes. You would think that it would be, but no. Uh, they are, she says there is uh, less demand for uh, Barbies. There's also diminishing demand for scary masks. So scary characters, I guess, are uh, not the trendy thing. Um, instead of wearing masks, she says uh, more people are painting their faces for the holiday. So face paint uh, is uh, one of the uh, big trends this year for Halloween. I just... That was kind of interesting. And uh, this item here, again, among the first things you need to know this morning, the most interesting and buzzworthy stories of the day, is there starting to become a pickleball pushback? Protesters over the weekend in Seattle uh, say they are opposed to the conversion of former tennis courts at Lincoln Park to pickleball courts. Uh, protesters said the public has not received the chance to weigh in on changes to the park and that countless animals could be impacted by the pickleball courts. I'm not wa- I'm not sure why they make that connection of uh, harming wildlife by converting existing tennis courts to pickleball courts. But uh, anyway, the story goes on to say Seattle Parks and Recreation says the decision was made to convert the tennis courts to pickleball courts 
after hearing from players of both sports that separate courts are preferred. The department adds it was able to make uh, the whole thing happen with grant funding. Since work is taking place on an existing court, Park and Rec officials uh, say it is exempt from state environmental uh, policy act requirements, which require public feedback because it counts as maintenance of an existing facility. Maybe that's what they were protesting. I don't know, but I, I just thought it was interesting. Are we seeing a pickleball pushback? It's not the only place. I've uh, seen other stories in the news, people uh, who are opposed to the conversion of tennis courts for the purpose of pickleball. So maybe uh, this is a a trend or a fad that is, I don't want to say going by the wayside, but it could uh, be seeing, well, it's definitely seeing some pushback. So how serious that pushback is ultimately remains to be seen. But kind of interesting, this uh, this pickleball trend may be fizzling a little bit. I don't know. There you go. Some of the most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Tuesday morning started. WFIN News. I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Partly sunny today with a high in the upper 50s, partly cloudy tonight, a low in the mid-40s. This is National School Bus Safety Week, and Finley Crime Prevention Officer Brian White says we all need to do our part to make sure school kids are safe around their buses. Kids are notorious for not really paying attention sometimes, so we really need to uh, look out for them and make sure that they're safe. Because you hear a lot of these stories of uh, kids being struck by vehicles while near or around a school bus. He says drivers are required to stop at least 10 feet in front of or behind a school bus when flashing lights and the stop arm are displayed and cannot resume driving until the school bus begins moving. Get more on the state laws regarding driving around school buses in the story on our website. The second week of early voting is underway in what is a big November election in Ohio with abortion rights and the legalization of recreational marijuana to be decided. We're getting a closer look at just how many Ohioans have turned out to the polls so far. Data from the Ohio Secretary of State's office shows during the first two days of early voting, more than 33,000 people had already voted in person. That's around 2,400 more votes than we saw during the first two days of that early in-person voting in the August 8th special election. I'm Colin Dorsey. Ohio Treasurer Robert Sprague of Finley has announced plans to purchase $20 million in five-year fixed-rate Israel bonds. Treasurer Sprague says now is the time to stand with Israel. He says for 30 years, Israel bonds have been and continue to be a strong investment for the Ohio Treasury. He says since Israel bonds was established in 1951, Israel has maintained a perfect record of interest and principal payments. Get more in the story on our website. The undefeated Ohio State football team is entering the most challenging part of its season. The third-ranked Buckeyes will host seventh-ranked Penn State on Saturday, a noon kickoff. The Buckeyes coming off that dominating 41-7 win at Purdue on Saturday. Ryan Day liked what he saw, but he says there can be no let-up. The issues are there. You know, they have to be addressed on both sides of the ball, all three phases, and we've got to keep doing that. We know we're near where we need to be, but that's, that's part of growing. Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. So now our cover story this morning on Friday, the Findlay YMCA announced plans for a new downtown facility. And CEO Stephanie Parsons is with us this morning to talk about some of the benefits of this very ambitious plan. 
timeline, the next steps in the process, etc., etc., etc. Stephanie, thanks very much for dropping by. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having this me. Probably the least, uh, the the worst kept secret in town that the YMCA mm. was looking at. Yes, <laughs> expanding. <Yeah. laughs> Everybody knew that this was coming at some point. Um, but during the this whole process, which has been ongoing for for months and even years, uh-huh. um, I'm I'm guessing you looked at a number of different options, a number of different plans. What was it about this plan that you presented on Friday that ultimately uh, led everyone to say, "Yeah, this is this is the one. This is what we're going to do." Yeah, you're you're correct. We looked at multiple different plans. We looked at a renovation, and I know you got a lot of feedback. Lots of feedback from both in within and outside yeah, the YMCA yeah. community. Yeah, you know, I, I just got to thank the board because you know, without them, we wouldn't be in the position we are. Um, they just keep pushing forward daily, and and the grinds there. But yeah, the board and I uh, looked at multiple different plans. Um, even a renovation, but the cost was just, you know, it made sense to just go brand new mm-hmm. and formalize a one campus, meaning that we would move the child development center um, across the street and connect it to a YMCA. And there's so much benefits to that because within our child development center, we actually ki- um, teach kids how to swim. And so daily we have kids walking across the street, yeah, um, which puts you a little on edge um, at mm-hmm. times because Lincoln Street can be quite busy. So mm-hmm. Um, we're going to avoid that safety risk and just have one facility, one connection. So uh, when you talk about uh, combining into a single location, what does that mean for the future of the east side uh, location? Our east branch, great. Thanks for asking that. Um, we are going to do a renovation with our east branch, which is has our houses, our tennis courts, five mm-hmm. indoor tennis courts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is in the plans. I know that was not mentioned, but... There will be a renovation to that branch. Also. So that's not going to be closed. Correct. Um, that will be open. That's not the plan. That will be open. Um, the The beauty of this all is no member will ever go without access to the Y during this construction because it's what I, I love. This uh, board member always says on a Sunday we'll turn the key to the new building. And we'll hand over the keys to demo the the old building, the existing building. So what is the uh, timeline? I mean, obviously, you know, you announce the plans, um, ready to break ground next week? Or what is it, you know, what's the the timeline on this? So the timeline is um, we're really looking at kind of formalizing what our our land, um, meaning that we'll have to uh, demo some of the structures get the seeds planted, um, and then we will be looking to break ground on our child development center um, in probably a year, year and a half. Okay. That's that's the plan. So, and then is there a time frame for completion and for opening of this uh, new facility? Well, they say once we break ground, it's going to be kind of a sequence project. It's going to be 12 months from there. Um, it's a 12-month uh, construction phase. So, mm-hmm. um that means that our child development center will be a year from when we break ground, and then thereafter would be the downtown, and then thereafter would be our East Branch. So what what has to happen between now and then in order to make all of this uh, happen? Yeah, so we're, you'll start to see a lot of information coming out in regards to kind of launching our capital campaign into the community. So there's more to come on that. Um, we'll start to announce a lot in the paper and 
uh, I'd love if you'd have us so we can just Absolutely. keep up to date here. Definitely keep, uh, keep track of what's going on. Yeah. So you'll start to see more of that on how you can get involved and how the community will get involved. So it's really just launching our capital campaign. So how much of, of the, the plans that you have depend on that capital campaign that is yet to come? I mean, in other words, you know, how much of this funding is secured, is actually in the bank now, in the coffers now, and how much of it will depend on, I guess the, the question is, how, how much could this change based on fundraising and, you know, capital campaign, that kind of thing? Well, you know, it's not easy when you go into a capital campaign. So yeah. it, could, it could change on the dime um, mm-hmm. during funding. Um, we do have some secure key stakeholders right now um, that that's why we are ready to launch our child development center because we know that's a key asset to our community mm-hmm. right now. It, you, you walk out and that's all you hear is individuals just need more child development in our community. And we're going to step forward in that re- reigns is to get that gone. So mm-hmm. uh, to answer your question, uh, enough to get us started. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, uh, and you mentioned child development, which seems to be one of the centerpieces uh, of this that uh, appears to be, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe even the driving force uh, behind uh, all of this. Um, does does this then expand that capability? I mean, it's going to uh, allow you to take in uh, more kids and you know, that kind of thing? Yeah, so uh, lots of things that are going to be happening in the, the realm of child development. Uh, we will be expanding so we can have more enrollment, mm-hmm. uh, but we also will be becoming a center of excellence. And what that means is we'll actually be coaching individuals on how to stabilize their organizations in uh, the child development. So we've been talking at the state level, um, have lots of support around this. Um, we're anxious to get moving forward on that. And then the facility, the rest of the facility uh, itself, as compared to what you have available for folks now at the Y, what we typically think of as the Y, what will this new facility uh, have available? I mean, it's is it going to expand the uh, offerings, the programs, um, you know, additional space. You know, how how does that compare? Yeah, so we'll have a, um, uh, a healthcare. Uh, will be with a, within the model. Okay. Um, the square footage will stay the same. It's just going to be more efficient. And so when I say this, it's going to be one aquatic center. And I love uh, when we talk to the architects, they say two tubs. One center, two tubs, which right now we have two um, uh, swimming pools mm-hmm. that are not connected. So more efficient in that respect. A bigger walking track. Um, we'll have a cooking kitchen that we know is a, a huge community need to help service our diabetes and anyone that is, you know, struggling with nutrition and, and we can, that's kind of where um, our health connection mm-hmm. comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, just like everything else, we'll have more aerobic rooms and more square footage um, for our wellness facility too. So it's exciting. So, uh, again, capital campaign is going to drive all of this. And as you were mentioning, some of these uh, plans are preliminary. Some can be tweaked and changed Mm -hmm. and and obviously based on all of that. So when does that launch and what is the timeline? What is the plan on that? So more to come on that. Um, We don't really have – today we're going to start this. Mm -hmm. Um, that's coming, and I would say that would be in the coming months. Um, okay. But you'll start to see and hear more of that. Uh, once again, we'll be reaching out to you and, and kind of get you a, 
a date so we can get community involvement. So a lot that. more uh, information to come. Yes, but, uh, yes. Uh, it, it is a, a very exciting plan. And again, the uh, preliminary drawings uh, are, are really... Uh, they're really fabulous. I mean, it's yeah, a it's yeah. a terrific uh, building, and you've got to be uh, really excited uh, you for know, the possibilities. The here. Y has always been a cornerstone of our community, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a president that once said that a Y is the just as strong as your community itself. So, um, I, I believe in our mission, and I believe in this project, and I, I think it the community should be excited for this. Um, it's a long time coming. And it will attract individuals to come in. It will help our workforce. There's just so many opportunities that this project will unveil. Again, uh, CEO Stephanie Parsons with the Finley YMCA with us this morning. You can learn more at our webpage at uh, goodmornings.net. We've got it all linked up. And Stephanie, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, it is that time of year. I don't know any Medicare recipient who actually looks forward to this, but it is open enrollment time, and those Medicare decisions can be incredibly complicated, but they don't have to be necessarily. We are joined this morning to discuss the annual enrollment period and some common costly mistakes that people make by Medicare expert uh, from Chapter and uh, author of the book, It's Not That Complicated, Ari Parker. Ari, first of all, uh, let's start there. Uh, Some of those mistakes, the common things that people do when selecting a Medicare plan that ultimately will cost them money. Absolutely, and thanks for having me. The costliest mistake people make is that they don't review their coverage for the upcoming year. The Medicare open enrollment period ends December 7th, and during this time, you can review the coverage that's right for you for the upcoming year. What people don't realize is that Medicare plans change each year, just as your health might change. So it's important to review what plan will work best for you for the upcoming year. Don't choose a plan just because you see Joe Namath talking about it on television. Joe doesn't know your doctors, he doesn't know your prescription, and Joe doesn't know what's important to you. So take the time. It only takes 15 minutes to review your coverage for the upcoming year. Similarly, uh, just because a plan has worked for you in the past, maybe even the recent past, doesn't necessarily mean it will be the right fit moving forward. So what advice would you offer to help people maximize their benefits and save money at the same time? Yeah, to maximize your benefits and save money, I would recommend using our three P's method. I write about this in the book. It's not that complicated. It's an Amazon bestseller. and You can find it there. Now, what are the three P's? The first P is your providers. Who are the doctors that you see? We need to make sure that they're all in network because as you mentioned, just because the doctor was in network last year doesn't mean that they'll be in network for the upcoming year. Mm-hmm. We need to do this every single year. The second P is your prescriptions. What medications do you take, brand name or generic? What pharmacy do you like to go to? Is mail order okay? If so, that might help you save some money. The final three, the the final P is your priorities. What's important to you? Do your grandchildren live out of state and you're planning to do some traveling? Or do you plan to spend the winter somewhere a little warmer? All of that functions into finding you the right plan for 2024. 
Now, the other thing uh, that becomes a bit complicated or can seem complicated is the fact that there are all kinds of ways to enroll in Medicare, traditional Medicare, and then there are the Medicare Advantage plans, and uh, there are supplements, and there you know all kinds of different options that people have. And those also uh, are, are, are changing. Probably the biggest change this year uh, is the addition of uh, prescription drug negotiation into the equation. People may have heard about this in the news. How do those anticipated changes impact people as they're looking at their options for 2024? Or do they yet? Great question. Medicare drug price negotiations are still a few years away from taking effect. Okay. We don't know what will happen. No one has a crystal ball. But what will take effect starting January is the maximum out-of-pocket cap on Medicare Part D. D is in drugs. For the very first time, there's going to be a maximum out-of-pocket that seniors can pay for their prescription. Previously, some expensive prescriptions had cost seniors 6000 or $7,000 per year. That won't be the case for the upcoming year because the maximum out-of-pocket cap on your drug costs will be roughly $3,300, and that takes effect January. So does that change how we should approach looking at that part of Medicare specifically? Absolutely, because it's important, even if you haven't paid 6000 or $7,000 in drug costs, to go through what prescriptions you'll be taking for the upcoming year or what prescriptions you have been on and then to find the plan that has the lowest cost for you. What people don't realize is that these plans vary county by county, zip code by zip code across the entire United States. Only our team has all that information at the touch of their fingertips. We can find the single best fitting plan for you and it only takes 15 minutes. Finally, there's no charge to work with us. So an awful lot of moving parts here, a lot of things that need to be considered. And as you were alluding to earlier, in a relatively short amount of time, I mean, uh, December 7th doesn't sound like, I mean, that sounds like a long ways away, but it's going to be here before you know it. So where do folks get more information, get this process started now? Because right now is the time to start if you haven't already. Absolutely. You can visit our website, askchapter.org, or you can call us toll-free at 888-487-2023. Again, that's 888-487-2023. There's no charge to work with us, and we can find you the right plan for the upcoming year in less than 15 minutes by working with our team of experts. We'd be happy to help you. Again, Ari Parker is author of the book, It's Not That Complicated. He is a Medicare expert from a chapter. And again, mention the website where folks can get that information. We can guide folks to uh, one more time, Ari. Our website is askchapter.org. Thanks so much for having me. This is Good Mornings with Chris Oaks on 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com and 95.5 FM. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Have you ever uh, grabbed the wrong movie? You want to, you know, watch something uh, on the tube, and uh, you just you you grab the wrong movie. Happened to a teacher at uh, Miami Springs uh, Charter School. Um, I think it's uh, Miami Springs, uh, Florida. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the uh, the teacher uh, showed. <laughs> 
is a fourth grade teacher, wanted to show his fourth grade class a Winnie the Pooh movie. And there seems to be nothing wrong with that, except that he grabbed Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey, <laughs> the, the uh, slasher film from earlier this year, depicts Pooh and Piglet <laughs> gone crazy, uh, committing murder, a, a far cry from their child-friendly uh, adventures that you typically think of with, uh, with Winnie the Pooh. Uh, Winnie the Pooh. Uh, about 20 minutes into the movie, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, <laughs> members of the fourth grade class were saying, uh, stop this. Uh, I, I don't want to see this. We, we don't want to see this. Uh, but the uh, teacher did not stop the movie. And uh, now uh, there is, uh, there's been some predictable backlash. Uh, one parent, Michelle Diaz, uh, says she doesn't understand why he didn't stop the movie, even when the kids themselves were saying stop. The school claims it has addressed the issue with the teacher, and a mental health counselor uh, has been made available to students who were traumatized by the event. I shouldn't laugh, but uh, <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Not really the film you want to show to fourth graders. <laughs> I mean, it is Halloween. I get it, but still. Uh, let's see. <laughs> I remember that movie coming out earlier this year and thinking, no, just no. <laughs> Elsewhere in the uh, broken news, a man in Springdale, Arkansas, stands accused of threatening a group of individuals with a machete had uh, his first day in court earlier this week. Emerson Lima Contreras entered a not guilty plea to all charges stemming from the incident last month where police say uh, he was arrested after he entered the backyard of an area home and began brandishing a machete yelling, quote, who wants to fight me, unquote. to fight me um he is uh, set to go on trial uh beginning in march of next year so we will follow that it i'm sure will be uh, rather entertaining <laughs> who wants to fight me now the story does not say but i am guessing some sort of intoxicating substance may have been involved in this incident <laughs> uh let's see the state of Nebraska, speaking of court cases, the state of Nebraska has been found to be not responsible for a riding lawnmower that slid down a hill at a recreation area, hitting a man who was sitting at a picnic table. <laughs> the state Supreme Court has ruled that Nebraska law protects the state from liability in accidents when weather is to blame. It is all the fault of Mother Nature. Aaron Brown of Holdridge, Nebraska, uh, says he has back and nerve injuries that are serious and permanent. Uh, because of the accident, he sued the state for damages. The court determined wet grass caused the mower to slide down the hill at Sandy Channel State Recreation Area, striking the picnic table where uh, Mr. Brown was sitting. Again, I probably shouldn't laugh, but that's just uh, crazy. Did you not see it coming down the hill? Hmm. Hey, there's a lawnmower coming down the hill. Coming down the hill. 
Uh, and a couple of other items here in the uh, broken news this morning. Actually, kind of a light day for uh, the broken news. Some good stuff, but uh, light day. Uh, this You talk about setting a good example for your kids. Uh, Sarah Webb, mother of four, will probably not be named mother of the year for this incident. Apparently, she had been shopping with her children and allegedly felt that the car parked next to her in the parking lot had parked too close to her own. And in a fit of anger, she took her keys and keyed up the vehicle, deliberately scratched the vehicle uh, next to her in the parking lot belonging to one Trevor Breed, all while her children were looking on to see see this uh, incident of great parenting. Caused about $1,200 in damages. Whole thing was caught in closed-circuit television security uh, video. Uh, Ms. Webb initially denied her involvement, but uh, on the eve of her trial, confronted with the fact that they had security video footage, she confessed to the vandalism. Prosecutor in the case uh, revealed that uh, the victim's car was his first-ever new car purchase. And... The video evidence shows he did nothing wrong in parking his vehicle. He was parked just fine. Uh, Ms. Webb was sentenced um, on an 18-month conditional discharge order to pay uh, compensation to Mr. Breed, along with court costs and a, a victim surcharge. So, But again, setting the example for your kids, uh, keying the car in the parking lot, Right there in full view of your children. That's not a mother of the year move. And finally, in the broken news this morning. <laughs> how not, how not to uh, land a job in the successful job interview. A, a woman in Indianapolis uh, apparently had a unique approach to landing a job. And she allegedly stole a Kia from a car dealership in order to make it to the interview. (laughs) She needed a car to get to her job interview, so she stole one from a local car dealership. The theft came to light when the dealership employee reported that a 2013 Kia Optima vanished from the lot after Keisha Shelton had inquired about it. According to local news reports, Uh, Ms. Sheldon took the car and embarked on a journey. Um, By the way, this was this. The car dealership is in Muncie, Indiana. She she took it to Indianapolis for the job interview and then later uh, returned uh, to Muncie. Uh, Authorities eventually tracked her down in part thanks to a form she had filled out on the dealership's website prior to the theft, expressing her interest in the vehicle that she ultimately stole. When questioned by police, she initially tried to conceal her identity, but eventually confessed to the theft, claiming she didn't see see it as a big deal since she had returned the vehicle by leaving it in a mall parking lot adjacent to the dealership with the keys still inside. (laughs) I just borrowed it. I brought it back. Well, sort of. (laughs) She now faces charges of auto theft and identity deception each carrying potential felony consequences of up to two and a half years in prison if convicted. And she probably 
is not going to get the job as an exotic dancer. <laughs> you get to her job interview. Her job is an exotic dancer. The whole uh, mess ensued. Uh, there you go. That is how not, how not to land a job. Not a successful job interview. There you go. <laughs> Today's broken news report, an update on the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. When local news breaks, you can hear about it on social media at lightning speed. And while getting you the information fast is important, WFIN will always present the story only after verifying with actual sourced facts. This is WFIN News Director Matt Demchek. Trust the voice that's been covering the news in Finley and Hancock County for more than 80 years. You can depend on us to get the story right every time on social media, 1330 WFIN, WFIN.com, and at 95.5 FM. And now your daily download, the numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. We were talking about this a little bit earlier. The latest analysis of U.S. Census Bureau data by storagecafe.com. It's their uh, migration report, the uh, report on where people, where Americans are moving from and where they are moving to. And again, this is based on an analysis of Census Bureau data. What they find is that the Mountain West region, the Mountain West, is a magnet for Americans who are looking for a change of scenery. Four of the top ten states for net migration uh, relocated to the Mountain West. Idaho, in fact, has been experiencing the highest net migration rate in the United States for the past couple of years. As a matter of fact, in 2021, for every 1,000 people residing in Idaho, approximately 25 new people moved there. For comparison, that's five times the number of newcomers as they saw in Texas in the same year. And where are they moving to Idaho from? Primarily, Residents of Washington State, Colorado, and California are migrating to the gem state of Idaho. But people are coming from all over. What's interesting in all of this is that migration patterns have shifted significantly in recent years. Americans are actually losing some of their appetite for moving. But, that said, while migration rates are down overall, state-to-state migration has exploded. In fact... Both 2021 and 2022 witnessed increased interstate moving activity compared to the rest of the decade. Uh, Fewer people are moving within the same state, but more people are moving from state to state. Roughly 7.9 million people moved to a new state in 2021 and 8.2, a record 8.2 million interstate movers in 2022. U.S. Census data shows Uh, Also, a trend toward buying larger homes, which, again, is a bit of a surprise. You think of people relocating maybe in retirement and downsizing. But no, the average floor uh, area, the average area of a single-family home increased by 41 square feet in the past three years, with homes sold in 2022 reaching an average size of 2,559 square feet. So it doesn't seem like we're downsizing at all. Uh, now, the, the main reasons why people move have always been strongly connected to the job market. 
people move where the jobs are. And I know uh, I have a couple of friends, actually, who just recently moved out of state for a job. That was why they moved. It wasn't just because they wanted to move. And uh, that has not changed post-pandemic, although while the top 10 states seeing the biggest net migration are rich in culture and natural landscapes, they also share a few characteristics that have now become deal breakers for those seeking a fresh start, a relaxed lifestyle, a favorable tax climate, a strong connection to nature, and a slower pace of life. So yes, we're still moving primarily for a job, but we are only considering jobs in areas that have these other things to offer. We're not going to just take any old job out of state. We want to move to a particular area. And these are the things, slower pace of life, relaxed lifestyle, and so on, uh, are becoming more important uh, in the overall equation. Now, we get into the numbers. Ohio is among the states experiencing net negative migration, losing 0.17 people per 1,000 residents. So not a huge negative net migration, but negative nonetheless. Minus 0.17 people per 1,000 residents. Michigan is losing people faster than Ohio is. But all the other states surrounding Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, Pennsylvania, and even West Virginia are seeing more people move in than leave. In fact, West Virginia is the fastest growing state among those that surround Ohio, which is kind of interesting. So one of the big stories yesterday was the 100th anniversary of the founding of the Walt Disney Company. And I think we mentioned this on the program. If you are a Disney Plus subscriber, they released a a new short film yesterday in honor of the 100th anniversary. Um... It it was really cute. It's basically, it's set at the Disney Animation Studios where all of the classic Disney characters are getting together, uh, all of the animated characters getting together for a group photo. And uh, it's about 10 minutes long, but it features like 600, upwards of 600 iconic Disney characters from Snow White and Peter Pan all the way up to The Little Mermaid and uh, Frozen. And uh, it, it really is, if you haven't seen it, uh, go to Disney Plus and watch it's called Once Upon a Studio. And you really think about it, back in 1923, 1923, not many people had heard of Walt Disney or his fledgling animation studio. And yet this week, today, the empire that bears his name begins its second 100 years of making magic. And to honor the occasion of the 100th anniversary, Disney Publishing offered up earlier this year four special books, a commemorative edition of the biography, Walt Disney, an American original, uh, along with the official Walt Disney quote book, The Art of Coloring, Disney 100 Years of Wonder, and The Story of Disney 100 Years of Wonder. And not long ago, we spoke with the senior editor of Disney Editions, Jennifer Eastwood. Jennifer, this is a milestone that not many companies reach, and I wonder what Walt Disney himself would think of it, because remember, he was only around for the first 40 years or so. <laughs> That's so true. So I think that in all examples of Walt's life, both personal and professional, he always admired looking back to acknowledge and understand where he had come from, where our culture had come from. 
And Ben always wanted to look forward towards the future. And I think that in this moment with this anniversary, that that's the philosophy that we embody to hopefully make Walt proud. <laughs> you know, we mentioned uh, many people would probably never have imagined in 1923 that Disney would grow into the empire that it is. But the reverse is also true. It is equally hard for many of us today to imagine a time when Disney wasn't the gold standard of animation and family entertainment. What it is? What is it like revisiting those early days? Well, I think that first and foremost, you have to say, well, why is it worth revisiting? What makes it still relevant? Mm-hmm. And the answer is the modern day. It, it's the things that we care about today that are meaningful to us that really drive us to say, oh, well, I'd like to have more information about that. I'd like to understand where that came from. And I think what our beautiful coffee table book, the um, the story of Disney, 100 Years of Wonder, does very well, is that it says, okay, let's not tell the story from this linear point of view. Let's tell it from the perspective of what were the beats that were really important to Walt personally and professionally? Mm-hmm. And then how do you take each of those topics and tell all the different stories that fit within that and make connections between past and present? So something like an innovations chapter can begin with, okay, here are the ways in which Walt and his team really pushed the envelope in furthering different animation techniques to to make their filmmaking that much stronger, that much more efficient. Yeah. And and follow that lineage through today to something like stagecraft technology, which which is this mind blowing technology by Industrial Light and Magic that um, you know, it's behind the Mandalorian, something that really resonates with many of us. And to say that both are coming from this place of storytellers who want to care about their characters and showcase them in these in these really interesting ways that, that connect with you, the viewer, um, and, and to make that connection through uh, past and present in our, our books is, is truly one of my favorite things about them. You talk about, uh, you know, making all of this uh, history relevant today in the ways that that you do that um what what is it about disney because we said in 1923 uh Disney's uh, first studios was, were fledgling. There was, it was not certain that it was going to last to 1924. So, what turned the corner, and what ultimately made Disney the success that he was, and that the company still is? Well, Walt, the person, never gave up on anything that he really believed in. Um, in, in our official Walt Disney quote book, one of my favorite quotes is. No man alone can do very much of consequence without the help of others. He had these big visions, these big dreams, and he knew that to accomplish them, it wasn't going to be him alone that, that got it there. there. And there were obstacles that were going to be have to overcome. So what resources did he need to pull in? What specific people did he need to pull in who had very specific talents that could further, you know, get through those obstacles and, and, and get us down that path? what were the different technologies that needed to be invented to get us to that place where this dream was possible. And with every dream that he conquered and made happen, he never stopped there. He kept going to the next big dream. And that required more resources and more team and more innovation. And I think that the Walt Disney Company today is at its best when we have that foundation from Walt 
top of mind and are, are going at all of our storytelling from that same perspective. Obviously, as senior editor of Disney Editions, and we talk about putting together this collection of books and and others that you have done, you are very well-versed on all things Disney, no question. But were there new things that you learned or new facts that you discovered for the first time when you're researching uh, these uh, books to celebrate the first 100 years? I think visually the book that surprised me most was The Art of Coloring, um, which is the the Disney 100 Years of Wonder uh, companion to the coffee table book. So the Walt Disney Archives staff really took this on as a passion project and decided to to mine vintage coloring books, to to go into old press kits, all these sorts of different resources so that you get these 1920s final frames of an Alice comedy and then you get Treasure Island uh, artwork from a vintage press kit uh, all the way up into like modern day Pixar art and to have that all again collated in a way that's under these storytelling beats that aligns with the coffee table book it's a really special romp to go through visually the, the history of the company in in both ways that are obvious and and totally surprising. We mentioned this for the uh, 100th anniversary. This is uh, a collection of four titles, and they're all uh, different books. You mentioned the coffee table book, uh, the uh, coloring book. Uh, there's the book of quotes and then the uh, biography. Who are these books aimed at? I mean, who's the uh, audience for each one of these? Anyone who has an interest in Disney will find a beautiful entry point within these books. Um, and really that comes from a, a very conscious choice that we made to say, we didn't just want one author's voice to be the, the only voice here. We knew that there that we have a, a beautiful creative team um, across the Walt Disney Archive staff that each brought their own expertise, their own passion and their own um, influences into this collection. So if you're somebody who really loves the movies, but not so much the parks, you will find entry points to that in, in all of these books and vice versa. Um, and even if it's just something where I just want to flip through it to see if anything catches my eye, yeah. I guarantee you, you will find that, especially in the coffee table book. It will just, it'll draw you in and you'll start reading and, and you want to know more because the minute you start hearing a little bit of the story and the history, you're always curious to say, well, tell me more. <laughs> yeah. Um, in 2123, uh, will somebody be sitting here talking about the 200th anniversary of Disney? And can you even imagine what that might look like? I sure hope so. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, Disney is about storytelling and optimism. And I think humanity needs that for the long haul. Well, no question there. Again, Jennifer Eastwood is senior editor of Disney Editions with these new books uh, that are out to commemorate the 100th anniversary of the Walt Disney Company. Uh, Where do we learn more about them and uh, pick up these books? So they're available wherever books are sold, and DisneyBooks.com is a great resource to find out a little bit more information. Again, Jennifer Eastwood, senior uh, senior editor of Disney Editions. We have a link to those books up at our webpage, goodmornings.net.
And that will finish up our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program this morning. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day on the program at our webpage. That, of course, goodmornings.net. Coming up tomorrow morning, the Hancock County Community Coalition on Addiction is speaking out against Issue 2 joining a chorus of voices opposed to the legalization of recreational marijuana in Ohio. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. Catch you back here tomorrow.